evidences of God's grace in his light. You know, the Apostle Paul was writing to this church at Ephesus, and he wanted to implore to them, he wanted them to get that God is good to be around. And so he started out with the first three chapters of Ephesians just lavishing on them all the different things he could think of where God's grace was being poured out. This morning we're going to be looking at the last half of Ephesians chapter 2. The last half. So in order to get the gist of this, we need to kind of capture where Paul was coming from, okay? So a little bit about Paul. He was getting up in years a little bit. He had been doing a bunch of missionary work. He had been traveling around. He had been sharing the truth of who Jesus Christ was. He had been establishing churches. He had been watching people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and were changed for a lifetime. And he was getting passionate about it in every sense of the word. Some of the churches were up and running, and he wanted to make sure that they got the gist. And so he would go back and visit some of them. He would write letters to some of them. He would actually go back and visit the towns where impacts had been made. At one point, Paul decides to go back to Jerusalem. And he's heading back there with the disciples, Luke being one of them. And Luke records this in Acts chapter 21, where Paul says, going back to Jerusalem. And basically the disciples took a vote and said, that's not a smart move. They pretty much want to kill you there, Paul. Let's just stay away from there for a while. And Paul says, that's all right. I'm willing to die for the cause. Let's go. And so they have this little wrestle as they're walking along, trying to decide if they should really be in Jerusalem or not. And Paul is convincing them, God is imploring me that we should go. They get to Jerusalem, and Paul reaches out to a number of the Gentile believers there, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and his shed blood. But they weren't from the lineage of Abraham. He reached out to them and said to them, let's spend some time together. He was seen with a man named Trophimus. And he's walking around Jerusalem. And they're sharing and they're laughing and they're joking and they're praying together and they're doing life together. And so one afternoon, Paul walks into the temple. And guess what? It all breaks loose. They come in and they start accusing him. The Jews are like, that man has been with Gentiles. That man brought a Gentile into this place, the temple of God, and went past the dividing wall. He took a Jew and a Gentile to only where Jews should be. He's broken the law. Well, how serious is that? You know, like he went into a different room in the hotel kind of thing. Like what big deal is that? You know, and the answer is this was such a big deal to the Jews that they had talked to the Romans and gotten clear, clear go ahead to kill anybody that does that. Death. And the Romans recognized it as being so important to these Jews that they said, fine, we'll give you that one, okay? We don't really understand the importance of geography to you, but nonetheless, if you feel that passionate about it, if a Gentile goes into the inner room, you can kill the Gentile and any Jew that brought him there, okay? That is what Paul was accused of. Now, it actually says in Acts 21, verses 27 and 28, it says, you know what? It was just an accusation. It was actually bogus. But nonetheless, it was an accusation. And they ended up dragging Paul in and throwing him in prison. And from prison, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And now we enter to Acts chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, where Paul is answering this question. What difference does it make to know Jesus Christ? What difference does it make? 
How, when we deal with the differences amongst people, can knowing Jesus have an impact? That's what he's going after. Acts chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. You know, the ushers are going to be coming forward. They've got some Bibles. We would love to get one in your hands. We are going to be walking verse by verse through this passage. So if you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand and we'll get one to you, okay? Acts chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. I'm sorry, Ephesians. We'll start with Acts. It'll be a long morning. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. All right, here we go. Therefore... Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were once far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. What difference does it make to know Jesus Christ? He starts out with this challenge. First point, remember who we were. Remember who we were. Now, if this sounds familiar, this is exactly how he started out Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, the prior part to this chapter. It's the same three types of points he's going to make. Last week, he was focusing on we were dead. This week, he's focusing on There are differences between people, but let's see what he says. Remember who we were. He starts out, therefore, remember verse 11, that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. So he's talking about the flesh differences here. You were Gentiles. You were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Okay. So the Jews, through this lineage from Abraham, They have this relationship with God through the law, and they use circumcision as a way to represent, I've committed myself in covenant to God Almighty, okay? Circumcision, it's something man does to man. It's not something that God's doing, but it's man doing in order to represent their commitment to God, right? Circumcision. Their view of the other side, you are uncircumcision. You hear it? You are not us. That's who you are. Not us. Thank you. So we have us and not us. That's who you were viewed as. As Gentiles, that is our position before Israel. The holy ones chosen by God viewed themselves as the chosen. The not chosen is over here. Remember, that's the position you stood in. That's the position we stand in 
as Gentiles. He says, you are Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. And then he goes on in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time, and now he goes into five withouts. Five things that we were without. First, you were separated from Christ. You were without Christ himself. Remember that. You didn't know who the Messiah was. You didn't even know what that word meant. You had no clue who Jesus was. You had no relationship with him. Remember who you were. Outside looking in, no knowledge of Jesus Christ. Next, without. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were without citizenship. You did not belong with God's people. You were alienated. You were a stranger. You were different. You were on the outside from the commonwealth of Israel. Next, without. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no God working with you, promising with you. You had no things to go through with God in order to follow through with him. You were guessing. You had no relationship. You were without Jesus Christ. You were without citizenship. You were without covenant. You were pretty much without. That's your position. The uncircumcision. Are you hearing it being delivered? Paul's saying, remember who you were, church at Ephesus. A message to us today. Remember where we stood without Christ Almighty in our lives. We were without. We were on the outside looking in of a relationship with him. He goes further. So the first three are Christ, citizenship, and covenant. Now he goes into the next two. You had no hope. You had no hope. Remember we talked about the word hope. Biblically, the word hope means absolute certainty that the something is going to occur. It's not the, well, I hope it happens, like we use it today, right? We use it today to mean, if it were my wish, that would be it. Or I would like that to happen. It meant much more than that. It meant absolute certainty that this will come. You were without that. You had no certainty of anything. You did not know what God was doing. You did not know where he was at work. You did not know what your eternal nature brought. You were without hope. There was no Christ. There was no citizenship. There was no covenant. There was no hope. There was, in fact, no God. He says right at the end, you were without God, capital G. Now, don't get me wrong. They weren't without their gods, little g, you know, the things they would handcraft, the concepts that they would put in place to follow. They weren't without those, but they were without the creator almighty, God himself, the one who could change you from the inside out, the God who is reaching out in love. You are without him. Remember who you were. You were without I just want to make sure we're real clear here, okay? What Paul is not saying and what Paul is saying. Okay. Because someone may come from the lineage of Abraham, they would be a member of the chosen people of God. Does that automatically make them saved? I mean, what is going on in the Old Testament versus the New? So just a little statement here, okay? In the Old Testament, we have people being chosen by God and we have this law they're living after, right? In the New Testament, we have faith in Jesus Christ and this grace. What's different? God changed that much? Actually, the answer is no. If you look in Romans chapter 4, right? It says, Abraham 
was counted as righteous when he believed God. Faith. And then in the New Testament, when are we saved? When we believe that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins and we confess him as Lord. It's faith in the Old Testament. It's faith in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 just starts pouring it out as he looks at person after person who was a hero of the faith. You see, old or new, it's about believing in him and trusting in him, faith in him. So there is Israelite, meaning physically coming from Abraham. But then there is truly child of God, believing in Jesus Christ himself. Okay? So don't hear me wrong. What we're not saying is all those who descend from Abraham automatically get the free pass. Biblically, they have a personal opportunity, an extra special privilege of being used by God and working with him, but they are still called to believe in him. And we must have faith in him, whether it's Jew or Gentile. And Paul's going to get to that in the next point. Just wanted to make sure we said it real quickly so we don't have a, a confusion as we get through this, okay? You were called as Gentiles. I am called the not us group, okay? And we were without. We were without Christ. We were without citizenship. We were without covenant hope. In fact, totally without God himself. We were in need. You know, often we are called to look back because it helps us to better grasp what we now have. You know what I'm saying? We're called to reflect back because what we have ends up being kind of played down unless we look at it in perspective. So to gain perspective, Paul says, remember. This has been quite the, quite the week for trying to gain perspective as a country, right? I mean, the inauguration for 2009, I think I saw more civil rights stuff this week on TV than I had in years. Why? Because people are trying to reflect on currently what we have. And whether you agree with President Obama's positions or not, and there are some that do and some that don't, so be it. That's not the discussion here. The issue is this. For the first time, for the first time ever, a man of colored skin was elected to president of the United States. I, I wrote down a quote that Obama had stated, President Obama had stated. He says, basically, a man whose father, less than 60 years ago, might not have been served at a local restaurant here in Washington, D.C., can now stand before you to take a most sacred oath. His statement of reflection. As you look back on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, when he says, I have a dream. And then he goes on to try to preach and teach this concept of unity and getting along. This concept of whether your skin is one color or another, that you get the same opportunities and privileges. And now some 40 years after that, we have a man elected to president that they see to represent that. That's the week of reflection. You know, the United States makes great leaps and bounds of progress in some areas. In others, we're not doing so well, okay? But, you know, at least in this area, there is some progress. And that was a week of reflection. Simply to say, wow. 40 to 60 years ago, a separate bathroom. Not allowed in restaurants. No way elected to any office, let alone president. And now, look where we've come. 
some tolerance, some open-mindedness, some progress. There's other things tied to that that we would, might want to address. We're not going to address those here for the, for the sake of the illustration, though. <laughs> Reflect. It has value, okay? My question to you, reflect back now. Reflect back into your life, to where you've come from, to what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to. Think of what we get to let go of because we're about to be asked to embrace something else. And with perspective, we will better value what we're being offered. We were without God. We were without citizenship. We were without hope. No absolute certainty of anything. And now he brings in the next. The second point is embrace Jesus as our peace. Embrace Jesus as our peace. He starts out in verse 13, and these two words just preach. That's all I can say, okay? He starts out, but now. That's pretty much all you have to say. You can go for 40 minutes on this, okay? But now. But it's different. But it's changed. It is not the same now. Now we can embrace. Not in the future. Right here, right now. God Almighty making a difference in my life, in your life. Now we can know Jesus Christ. It used to be that we were without God. But now we can know him as Savior. Amen? That is the point of verses 13 through 19 here, or 13 through 18. He says, basically, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were distant. Now you sit next to him. Remember last week, we are raised up and seated next to him in the heavenlies. We have been given the authority and the power and the relationship to know him for a lifetime. But now, Jesus Christ at work in you and in me. He says, be happy. Embrace the peace of God Almighty at work in you. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Well, what do you mean by that? Like, what is peace? The end of verses 14 here, he answers it. Who has made us both one. That's the first point. He's made us both one. What is peace? He took Jew and Gentile, two completely different cultures, and he's brought them together and made one. There is no difference. All mankind in the same position before God Almighty in need of a savior. All of us have come up short. We've shot that spiritual air ball. Remember like we talked last week? We have missed the mark of God's holiness. And we owe for his holiness being violated, eternal separation. But he has offered for us salvation so rich and free. A loving, merciful, gracious God pouring out upon us salvation. And that has become our peace. We all, Jew or Gentile, we all embrace him through that peace. That's the one that's been now created. There is no more circumcision and uncircumcision. There is no more the called and the uncalled of the Israelites. It is all one. We who believe in Jesus Christ have become one. We who are far off have been brought near. He then says at the end of verse 14, one other way that peace has been brought 
the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, you remember when I was talking about Paul back in the beginning, right? He was put in prison because in theory, he had brought Trophimus inside and beyond the dividing wall in the temple. There is a dividing wall of hostility that sits in the temple as far as the Jew is concerned. And Paul says, guess what? It's broken down in Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with him, Jew or Gentile. What does the temple represent? The opportunity to come into the presence of God. And Paul's saying to the Jews and the Gentiles, whoever you are, we have the privilege of coming into the presence of God Almighty based on Jesus Christ, our peace. Amen? That is what he's trying to preach here. He's saying we do not recognize two different distinct. We recognize one, those who trust in him, our peace. That's what peace is. Question. How did he do that? He just said, we're done. New rule. What did he do? Verse 15. He starts out on a list of how. How did this peace come? This peace we're supposed to embrace, how did it come? Verse 15. By. So this is a method statement. By. Abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Okay. So every Jew that heard this shuddered. Okay. What did he just say? The law was just abolished in Jesus Christ? We have to make sure we completely understand what Paul's saying here. He's not saying, hey, I set up this other thing and it was going for a while and it didn't work, so forget that. We're going to go over here now and try something new. We'll do this grace thing. We'll see how that goes. Let's see if that works for you. It's not what's saying. He's saying this. The law, for those who chose to believe in God Almighty and follow after him, he gave them some direction on how to follow through the law. But the law did nothing more than continue to point out the shortcomings. The law was not a way to attain relationship. The law was something they were to be following in faith with him. And it was going to continue to show them how much they needed to change. That's what the law was for. And it will come up short in creating perfect followers. He abolished the law in that on the cross, he paid the ultimate price that we need to pay. He abolished the law in that he was the only one who has ever fulfilled fully fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ, God become man in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died an unwarranted death, rose again from the dead, and he's applying that to you and to me. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is abolished for us to continue to follow, okay? That's a statement made by Paul. Pretty rough statement for some of the Jews to hear. Gotta be honest with you. Took them Pretty much 2,000 years, and they're still wrestling with it, okay? Centuries went by where they were at battle with this. How do we apply it? What does it look like? When does it apply? When doesn't it apply? As they worked through trying to figure out what to do with the law. But we are using this word here. Paul very clearly used the word abolished. Not set aside. Abolished. Removed, done, fulfilled, not to be used again in that way. Okay, we have a set of rules to be following as Jesus Christ monitors and, and displays for us in the New Testament. When he says things like, love the Lord your God with your whole heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? The Ten Commandments, that's a great start. And there's a lot more detail to it as you start figuring out how that applies in your specific life. We do have examples to follow. So does this mean, hey, great, no law. We can do whatever we want. 
Romans 6.1. So just because more grace is lavished upon us because we're sinning, keep doing it? God forbid. It's not that grace would continue to abound that we keep on sinning. We turn and we give him our whole life and say, thank you for what you're doing, Lord. May I follow after you. May my heart beat after you. May I have a passion for you and your character. To God be the glory. Jesus Christ abolished the law. This is some pretty heady stuff going on, right? Next step. He says, not only did he abolish the law in verse 15 there, it says at the end that he might himself create one new man in place of the two. So we've kind of already touched on this. The one new man, the one who believes in Jesus shed blood. The one new man, the one who calls upon him and says, I understand who you are and we are following after you. God Almighty working with Jew and Gentile through one basic statement. Do you trust in Jesus as your peace, as your shepherd, as your savior? That's the one new man. He says here in verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. He's reconciling us. The ministry of God at work on earth, reconciling. Whether it be husband to wife, children to parents, friend to friend. He's pulling people towards people, but he's also pulling people towards him as he's warming their heart to who he is, as he's shaping them and growing them. You know, I always teach it this way. Picture the big triangle, right? The big pyramid. And we're out at the corners, two human beings. And as they come up the sides towards the center where Christ is at the peak, as you become more like him, you're becoming closer with each other, right? You see it happening? That's the visual image. As he is our peace, as we are growing to be more like him, we will be getting along better. We will be one because Jesus is our center and our focus and our peace. Amen? That is unity in the spirit. That is why we as a church must be modeling getting along because it's about his character. It's about his love and his passion in our lives. God at work in us. To him be the glory. He continues here. He says, basically killing the hostility. He reconciled us both together through the cross, killing the hostility. You see, we're not separate and different because of who we are and how we were born. We all stand in the same position before him. We need a savior. And that should kill the hostility. Praise be to God, we both get there the same way. That is the difference. None. There is no difference in how we get to him through Jesus. It kills the hostility. He continues, verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. So the last step here is Jesus preached his peace. I wrote down what preached peace means. You know, this is probably the best explanation I heard. He announced the terms of the reconciliation. He announced the terms. This is how it's going to go. You want to know peace? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way. You want peace? Peace is a relationship with God Almighty through my shed blood on the cross. Peace is relationship with one another. And it was preached to those who were far off, Gentiles, you and me, to those who were near, the Jews. All needed the same Savior. All were preached the same message. Embrace the peace that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Embrace the peace. 
Man-made peace versus God-made peace. You know, this week was also another big week internationally. Uh, the Israelis and the Hamas had a, a ceasefire agreement. So they've agreed no longer to be lobbing shells, dropping grenades, firing bullets, going over the top with missiles, creating rubble where there was living quarters. They've agreed to try to get along. And the Gaza Strip is a train wreck of emotion and passion and politics. And so, you know, a reporter went out there and he was interviewing one of the Palestinians who was moving back into their homeland. And as they were moving back in, they had a mattress stacked up. They were using it to lay on at night and to cover when bombs exploded. And they were coming back in with mattresses and wheelbarrows. And the reporter thought that he was actually going to be getting a pretty good word from him. So he puts a microphone in front of him and he says, are you excited to be going home? And he said, I am so excited to be going home. I have no clue what it looks like. I know it's been destroyed at various levels, but at least it's home. I'm excited to be going to where my family has known and grown up and lived. I'm excited about it. And he said, any other words? And he said, I'm just happy those devils will be removed from this place. Is that peace? There's no heart of peace there. There's strictly physical, external, no attack with bombs peace there, right? Let's hope that there could be more peace than that through God Almighty. Amen? Our God changes the heart, not the flesh. Our God changes from the inside out. And there is miracle happening as lives are touched. And what doesn't happen is a statement like, at least I get to go home and get those devils out of here. Instead, it's God has brought us together. There is one creation. There is one man, those who trust in Jesus Christ. We've been unified in him. Power as God changes the heart. My question for you is this. You know, we live here in central Illinois, and it's easy to escape the Israeli Hamas elements or maybe in some of the stuff going on in Washington, D.C. But right here in this hometown, well, I'm from Morton. You're from Tremont. Well, you're from East Peoria. I'm from Pekin. Right? We can start delineating on geography. And all of a sudden, we're making a big deal about the external. And my question is, yeah, but we all love Jesus Christ. It's time to embrace in the body at all levels. My question for you is, if you've grown up in a community that's been prejudiced, be careful that you haven't just adopted what feels like normal ways. The normal way to live in God's citizenship is an embracing, accepting peace of all those who follow after Jesus Christ and reaching out to those who don't with a loving arm to say, come on in, the water's fine. Amen? It's about unity. Unity within the universal body, not just the local body. It's not a message that we just get along here. It is that, and we'll get to that in just a second. But it's also, let's get along in a broader sense. May we all be rallying together as we pray for peace. You know, I think it's this Friday is coming up. A prayer for peace in the city of Peoria. A prayer that there be less harm going on. As believers from all types of churches are coming together to say, God Almighty, do a work. Last year's prayer for peace, huge numbers of hostile attacks went down. Things were improved. But what we want to make sure is we're not just going after the physical. We're going after the heart of it all. God at work in the hearts and lives of this community May we model a unity and a love for one another, regardless of which church you've come from. What 
do you believe about Jesus Christ? And go after a love for him. If they love him, embrace him. If they don't love him, share a love with him of who he is. This isn't a you're on the outside, then you're out. This is a you're on the outside, then come on in. Let me show you who he is. Let me give you a testimony of what God has done in my life. The message of Jesus Christ, our peace, is this. We need to be getting along. And we need to be getting along at all levels. God at work in our lives. There is no Morton and Tremont believer. There is the him who follows Jesus Christ. Amen? We got to be going after it with all we've got. As we go after being a regional church, we will be pulling from all communities and we will embrace all communities who love Jesus Christ and go after him with all they have. And we will be reaching out to those who don't and saying, you don't know what you're missing. Let me share the love of Jesus Christ with you. Amen? Embrace the peace of Jesus Christ. If we don't walk away today saying one big word, unity, we've missed the point of this passage. Unity, that's the point of this passage. We get along because he's changed my heart. We get along because he's changed my heart. How are you doing? Have you been born and raised in a somewhat prejudicial environment? It's time to let it go. Do you tend to look at someone and judge them by their clothing or by their style of talk or their vocabulary or their money, their hairstyle? That still looks like the 70s. Come on, man, get up to date, right? Although the 70s are back in now, so maybe you look cool with that. How are we judging when we shouldn't be judging? Are you looking for differences or are you looking for samenesses? We both believe in Jesus Christ and we're going after him with all we have. To God be the glory. Embrace the peace of Jesus Christ and the unity that comes as we become more like him. Okay? Think of what you need to change there. We all have a little bit of it in us. We all have the, we like being with those we're alike. Okay? We all have it in us. And we're going to be embracing those who are a little different. It's a part of who we're called to be. Just think of how weird you look to somebody else. Okay? Look left, look light, right. If they look weird, guess what? You look weird to them. So the reality is it's embracing us all together. Okay? We are a family. Let's bring it together in peace. All right? The last point, verses 19 through 22 here. Celebrate being in God's family. So first, it's remember back who we were. Second, it's embrace Jesus as our peace. And last, celebrate being in God's family. Verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Okay, think about these words. Stranger, you look different. Strange, other, alien, you don't belong. You are no longer that. You belong. You are a part of. You are counted as one. No longer strangers and aliens. You are, and here we go, a list of ones, okay? Here's the unity. First, you are one nation. At the end of verse 19, he says, you are fellow citizens with the saints. One nation, fellow citizens. You have your citizenship through God Almighty and Jesus shed blood. There is one nation, the universal church. And we gather together as a local church out of being practical. We can't put 4 million people together every Sunday to serve and worship. So we do break down into local churches, but this isn't to create dividing walls. This is to be pragmatic in our worship. But God Almighty is to be honored as we rally together as a universal body. Amen? We better get that picture. This is not about drawing walls of difference. 
and counting who they are and who they aren't and what we are and what we aren't. And this is about Jesus Christ, him crucified. We are one in him, okay? Number two, not only are we one nation, but it says we are one family. It says with the saints and members of the household of God. We get counted as the children of God. We've said this over and over again throughout the fall. We get to call him daddy, all of us. Those from Pekin, those from East Peoria, those from Tremont, those from Morton, those from Creepcore, everywhere you're from, you get to be calling him daddy because you trust in him as your savior and you've asked for him to forgive you of your sins. Relationship with him, change in our hearts, being called together as one. And then he says at the end here, not only are we one nation, one family, he says we are one temple. And he starts out in verse uh, 20 there. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Foundation of the apostles and prophets. What does that mean? This is what it means. At the time of Christ and before, the Messiah was preached. Change was coming. A kingdom was going to be established. Jesus Christ was that king. Jesus Christ is coming to serve and to provide. And the apostles and prophets built the foundation of understanding who he was. Which gets to the next point, the cornerstone. It says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, this can actually have two different meanings. There's big debate. Uh, you know, one meaning could mean that it's a multi-tiered high uh, brick that goes on the side and multiple layers of the foundation tie into it. It may also mean more like the capstone element in an arch where it's the last one put in. In either case, what it represents is a joining together, a unifying, and a providing of solidity, Jesus Christ. He joins us together, he unifies, and he provides solidity, our cornerstone. Praise be to God, Jesus Christ. You know, he then continues, he says, you have a foundation, you have a cornerstone, and in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Joined together, holy temple. We are sacred before God Almighty. In verse 22, he then says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is so important. The close to the whole thing, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. If you trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness of sins, he treats you as his holy temple. God Almighty taking up residence in you to make an impact. Okay, let's get this clear though. The power that was at work in raising Jesus from the dead, the power that was at work in seating him at the right hand of the Almighty, the power that was in work in him does the same with you, raising you from the dead, seating you next to him. And now, not only has he seated you physically next to him, he has taken up residence from within and he's cleaning up house room by room. The Holy Spirit at work in your life, room by room to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory, you are being changed to look more like him tomorrow than you do today. You are his temple. Amen? One temple we are. One temple as we all have got at work in us, changing us from the inside out. What are you working on? What rooms of your temple are needing to be cleaned right now? What stuff is God saying, that's something we need to look at. That's something we're going to need to work on. How are you doing with the prejudice issues, the topic of today, the differences that you see in people and going after those? How are you doing in pride issues? Now, this is pretty much about me, what I'm doing here. 
to my glory, to my honor. That needs to be worked on. How are you doing reaching out to your family, caring for them as God's called you to, being the husband he's called you to be, the father that he's called you to be, the wife that he's called you to be, the mother, the sister, the brother. We have a family, physical family, to be reaching out to properly. How are you doing in this family? Let me just ask you this. If you're a regular attender here, you've been doing a great job. This body is a warm, reaching out body. I am thrilled as I've seen God at work here. You know, this past week has been um, a tough week for a number of different reasons, but um, one family specifically has been going through a lot of heartache as their little girl Tess uh, was going through surgery this week for cancer. Three years old, coming up on four, loves the little princess outfits. And uh, you know what? This church has been rallying around Spencer and Libby in ways that have been amazing to watch. Whether it be providing food or coming over to help clean the house or do some laundry or watch the kids or visit them while they're in the hospital, give them a phone call or a text message just saying they're being prayed for. We reach out. That's what we're called to be. As our family hurts, we hurt. As our friends hurt, we hurt. And we reach out to care in the midst of that. We've been doing a fantastic job. The work is never done. And as I appreciate everything you've done with Spencer and Libby and little Tess and just continuing to reach out there, let's keep our eyes peeled for how else God is at work and where else we need to be reaching out to. That person next to you who you always sit next to every Sunday and you're embarrassed to ask their name because you can't remember, go ahead and ask. It's okay. We just have to break the ice, okay? We all forget names. It's difficult. We get it. Just go ahead and say, you know what? I'm sorry. Remind me of your name again. I'll write it down on the backside of my hand and I'll remember it for next week. You know what I mean? Just go ahead and break the ice. We shake hands. We say hello, but we keep it cordial distant because we're afraid to let them know "Ah, we accidentally forgot. Reach out. It happens. It's life. It's okay if afterwards you say, remind me of your name. That's a good thing. We're a caring body. We need to know each other's names. We need to know the hurts and the pains and the struggles. We need to know the joys and the successes and the things we can celebrate. For those of you who are maybe just starting to look at this church, you're coming from another church, just a couple of challenges for you. First of all, welcome to the family. Welcome as you kick tires and look at this place. You are loved. We'd love to have you here more. I do want to give you a couple of thoughts. If you've come from another church body, and there may have been some hurts in the midst of this change that you're transitioning from, here would be a request for you. Take some time to heal. Take a season. I don't know what that season will be. For some, it's short, you know, a week or two. For some, it may be months. If you've come through a tough time, let us feed you and serve you. Take some time here in this body to heal and to let God grow you. But do know this. We believe in a complete disciple, one who worships, walks, works, and witnesses for Christ. Yes, I said works. We believe in getting involved in the body, and we will constantly be calling this body to challenge. And at some point, your season of healing comes to a close, and it's time to stand up and serve your Savior with everything you've got in this body. And you're going to be one of them who, later this year or next year, we're going to be calling on you to help reach out to the some coming into the body who are hurting and need some help. Join us. 
be with us. Take a season to heal if that's what's necessary. And when that season is done, dive in with us with all you've got. We are one family. Welcome to the family. Amen? We are one family. And unity better be what we're known by. We love our Savior, then we better love each other. That's where we're called to be. Love each other and loving God. The great commandment in its core. Are you ready to dive in and be unified in 2009? Let's display the love of Jesus Christ and how we care for each other in these local walls and outside in the community. To God be the glory.